What sets limits on pollution? Part two. Some answers. I asked many questions on the last episode. The core ones were things like, why aren't we switching to renewables and not polluting faster? I know we can't switch overnight, but what sets the pace? Do we know if the limits will go away? Like, do we just need to build more factories? Or maybe they won't go away. Like what led us to retract from supersonic flight. We once had a Concorde that flew, now we don't. Supersonic flight worked in some ways, but not enough. A mix of social, business, engineering, and physics issues pulled us back. How much farther can advances go? Can we expect as great advances as the 747 compared to the Wright brothers' first plane? How much of the solar power hitting the Earth can we effectively use? I point you to a paper called Pulling Back the Curtain on the Energy Transition Tale, which I link to in the notes. It's not peer-reviewed, but shares all its sources so you can look them all up. It looks at the limitations of renewable energy sources. What does it take to build solar and wind farms? How many do we have to build? How many can we build? Things like that. I recommend reading it. I'll share some highlights, or as it seems, lowlights. To start off, most, about 80% of energy, comes from fossil fuels directly, like heating iron to make steel. Some processes can use electrical power, but not all. The paper cites sources that generating that 20% of electrical power could cost $11 trillion if we just wanted to do it through solar, just on the solar cells alone, and that's just a small part of over $250 trillion, though it would have to be in the desert, all the stuff, to get the power, but we couldn't transmit it from there, so we'd have to be in the desert. We'd also need to grow the grid to transmit whatever power we did 14 times faster than we were to do it last year, every year for, until 2050. I don't know if we could keep that up. I mean, we have the rest of the economy to do. I hope I'm getting this right. Read the paper to get all the details. But all of that power, if we did get solar to power all of our electrical needs, that still doesn't cover the fossil fuel things like heating and container ships, And if we did it through solar and wind, we'd have to build these farms faster than ever every year until 2050. Now, since these things last 15 to 25 years, once we finish the project, we'd have to start replacing all the ones that that we built at the beginning, and apparently we'd have to keep building them forever. There may be technological advances that make these things last longer, but many of these things are not new technologies, and we're fairly mature along the way. There's only so many advances left, but maybe we can. Still, making the solar cells and windmills That requires steel, cement, concrete, and other materials that require temperatures we so far only get from fossil fuels. The industrial processes the paper talks about, we have to heat things up to thousands of degrees. Right now, that's fossil fuels only. So we'd have to keep burning them to create the would-be sustainable renewables, but they aren't really sustainable if they require fossil fuels in perpetuity to make and to run. That manufacturer also emits greenhouse gases. The paper goes into more detail about alternatives like biogas that don't work for other reasons. For one thing, land we use to grow fuel, we aren't growing food with, but we're projecting to need all that land to make that food. So where are we going to grow it if we're also feeding the people? Building solar panels requires fossil fuel burning temperatures, just like making steel and cement does. The processes produce toxic byproducts and other greenhouse gases besides CO2. They require some rare minerals that may run out, and so far have often led to human rights abuses in mining them, as well as losing wildlife and land where people could be. Since they operate a few decades, disposing of them at the end of their lifetimes may lead to be 10% of electronic waste. That's a fair amount. Recycling instead of disposing of materials so far has, uses techniques that expose people to toxic waste. might not be so safe to do this. Batteries and other storage require hundreds of times more capacity than we have. The paper says that, quote, The world's largest battery manufacturing facility, Tesla's $5 billion gigafactory in Nevada, 
could only store three minutes worth of annual U.S. electric demand in its entire year of production. Fabricating a quantity of batteries that could store even two days' worth of U.S. electricity demand would require 1,000 years of gigafactory production. So we need a lot more batteries. Well, we could reduce our consumption by a lot, but no one's talking about that. So that's the big alternative to all of this. Instead of producing more, is to need less. Which, by the way, as an aside, stepping away from this paper for a second, having an MBA, business people in other contexts get this. If you want a company to be profitable, you know you can't just raise the top line. At some point, you realize you have to lower your costs. You have to manage your costs. It's difficult to transition from a company that doesn't care about its costs to a company that does care about its costs. And sometimes you have to lay people off. It, it can be difficult. But eventually, markets reward companies that do this. And running in a company and working in a company that's profitable and sustainable and responsible to its shareholders is much more, in the long run, more fun and, a, I, to me, a better experience than running in one that just doesn't know how to stop its costs. Okay, back to the paper. The paper goes into more detail about limitations of batteries and other storage worth reading. And storage can come another way, pumping water, things like that. And any number of the points that it talks about might be enough to derail renewables. Quoting the paper again, it says, Large cranes used to load and unload cargo in large construction projects, in mining operations, and more. Container and other large ships, airplanes, and medium and heavy-duty trucks, end quote, may never be able to run on batteries or anything other than fossil fuels. So we might not be able to move things from the factories to where they go. We might be able to make them, in, if we could even make them in the first place, which doesn't seem possible. And once in place, we might not be able to install them. Wind turbines, for example, require magnets that require rare earth metals whose mining produces toxic and radioactive waste. The blades are fiberglass that can't be recycled or, as far as we can tell, reused at the end of its life. Making the towers requires fossil fuels to make the steel and to power the large vehicles to transport them. Installing the towers requires heavy trucks and machinery that batteries can't power to dig deep and manufacture the materials. Plus, they, they use a lot of cement and concrete, which I mentioned before, they emit a lot of greenhouse gases. I didn't know most of this stuff before. This was in some ways news to me. I knew that there were limits. I just didn't know what they were. New technologies may overcome some of these problems. But remember, these technologies were supposed to solve the problems of past technologies, which themselves were supposed to handle the problems of technologies before them. The paper doesn't say it, but each solution seems to require more work than all the ones it replaces. Why should we expect this round to be the last one when each before only enlarged the problems? Every indication suggests more problems to come with all the waste to manage, manufacture that doesn't go away, and raw materials will keep needing, destroying the environment and creating deadly working conditions. Meanwhile, people have lived sustainably without all this technology in other places, and basically every other culture except where agriculture has led to growth, externalizing costs, comfort and convenience, the values that we live by. The paper then goes into hydropower, fission, and fusion. So hydro has, there are a few places left that can be dammed. Fission would need many more nuclear reactors to be built, like tens of thousands more, but they take long times and have big waste management issues, huge operating cost issues. The paper details many problems with fusion that may never be solvable, high operating costs, huge needs for water, and that need for water comes when many areas humans live in are becoming arid, takes time to build these things if they're ever feasible, and so on. The paper then covers carbon capture and storage, mainly pointing out that no viable schemes exist, nor on any remotely useful scale, not in our lifetimes. I mean, this is one of the places where I hold out for some big discovery, but nothing meaningful exists so far. It also covers the social exploitation that has always accompanied mining the materials needed for batteries, magnets, and other material parts of renewables. 
It talks about physical limits to potential advances. Most of these fields, as I said before, are mature, and the technology is reaching those physical limits. We're not getting double-digit increases in efficiencies, for example, in most of these things. Solar cells can't produce much more power per area than they are, nor can wind. We're at some of the limits that we can possibly reach. For transportation, while cars and bicycles can run from batteries, and it's great to see how many of these things are switching over to battery-powered, large trucks for transportation and construction, airplanes, and freight ships, to a very limited extent, can be run from batteries. Probably whole systems of trains can't run on renewables, or at least would need an expanded grid whose construction would take away from the rest of the economy. All high-speed rail projects in the U.S. run over in cost and time. It's not even clear we have the wherewithal, the managing wherewithal, to take care of it. As for flying, you'll get to hear the details from the chief engineer I had on the podcast when our conversation emerges from the editing pipeline, probably in a couple weeks from now, maybe months, actually. Sorry, it takes a little while for these things to happen, and I have a big backlog of other great guests. But my high-level takeaways are that batteries add weight and are near the limits on being able to hold enough energy for long flight and to deliver power fast enough without overheating. These two properties, holding energy and delivering power fast, tend to be exclusive. If you improve one, you lose the other. To fly a heavier plane with all the battery in it requires moving slower, but planes can only slow so much. People don't want to go on slow planes. It means fewer people per plane and different plane design. But plane design is a mature field. There aren't more advances to be made. We know the more aerodynamic designs We just didn't implement them before because we implemented ones before based on optimizing for profitability, not sustainability. We can switch to optimizing for sustainability, but there's not new stuff to be done. It's just implementing things that weren't done before. And by the way, when you're implementing things that are transporting hundreds of people in the air, you can't do this just overnight. You have to test and test and test. So even if there was something that worked well, it would take a long time before we put it into practice, very likely, or there'd be disasters along the way unless we got very lucky. I understood from him that currently no technologies allow for flights of the capacity, speed, and distance we now consider normal. If we reach the limits on all the technologies of the batteries, the wing design, the weight of all these things, I understood that we still couldn't fly dozens of people thousands of miles. That means we can't go over oceans. That would mean that going from North America to Europe would require stopping over in Greenland or Iceland, not to recharge, which would take a long time because charging the batteries takes a long time, but to change planes. Now, that requires lots of extra planes on the ground lying around, which adds cost to operations and pollution to manufacture all these extra planes that are just sitting around most of the time. Meanwhile, crossing the Atlantic would now have a huge bottleneck. Even if we could fly those distances, build enough planes, and generate enough power to charge them in Greenland and Iceland, how many flights per day can these small islands process? Could we cross the Pacific at all by plane? I guess we'd have to go up through Alaska and across the, the Bering Strait. These things don't seem particularly plausible. Now, that's not to say that we couldn't travel all around the world. People did before. I certainly remember reading about, say, Benjamin Franklin being, the, I think, an ambassador to France. So people long ago would cross the Atlantic. We could still, just not flying. I think people today call me extreme or they think that I'm doing something bizarre or that they can't understand when I don't fly. But I think most of us have to get used to, within our lifetimes, we will have the last time that we fly across an ocean. The alternative is pollution, global warming, that it was untenable generations ago, and it's getting more polluted now. I'm bringing up these points not to bring you down. I didn't make up this research. I learned of it through Dave Gardner. He's been a guest of this podcast, and he's got his own podcast, Growth Busters, which I highly recommend. 
And it was the episode called Santa Claus, the Tooth Fairy, and the Green New Deal. It features Megan Siebert, who did this research, or at least presented this research, and knows it better than I do. And she explains it in the podcast episode with Dave, which I'd link to in the notes. So I recommend listening to that and getting it from her directly. It's pretty sober. Why do I present it? It seems to me, if you have to cross Death Valley, it's useful to know how much water you need and can bring. If you don't have enough or can't bring enough, nobody wins by starting to cross and just hoping somehow you'll make it when you don't have enough water to make it. By contrast, reducing consumption and birth rate require no new technological advances, cost little money and probably save more, and when implemented in voluntary, non-coercive ways, have improved measures of health, longevity, prosperity, abundance, and stability, what we want. Solutions exist, just not the ones we fantasized for generations would work and keep increasing the problems. Living much simpler lives is beyond possible. Contrary to mainstream beliefs and expectations, it means what I believe anyone would call a better life, not despite not flying all over the world at whim, but because of it, spending more time with our communities, with our family. Living as our ancestors did doesn't mean 30 becomes old age again, or we lose science. On the contrary, we'd probably have higher longevity and more meaningful interaction with nature. What's science about if not knowing how to plant plants and having your own garden, things like that. Life can be great living sustainably. Our entitlement holds us back. That's inside us. That's our mindsets, our hearts, very spoiled. It's not a physical lack of viability, but we have to look at things soberly and plan based on what we can do and what we can't do then do what we can. Then when we do what we can and not lament or fail at what we can't, we can live great lives as individuals and society.